Well, I hope that this message will be interesting to you, but I'm afraid this message is also going to be unsatisfying to you. I'll just tell you that up front. I think that's going to be the case because in many ways, with the fourth commandment on the Sabbath, many of you probably what you're wondering is, Pastor, I want you to tell me exactly what can I do and what can't I do? Because different Christians have disagreement about this, and maybe you're like, I want you to just lay this out, and maybe I'll like what you say, or maybe at least I can disagree with you or be upset with you or whatever it is, but I want to know. And uh, hopefully we'll get to, to at least some of that, but we need to lay some groundwork first. As I said, there are different Christians and good Christians that have different interpretations as far as how this commandment applies to us today in the, the new covenant era, in the, in the church age. And there is a whole spectrum uh, from those that would say we o- obey it completely just exactly the same or almost the same, we just shift it to Sunday, and all the way to the other end of the spectrum that would say, you know, that was just for the Old Testament time. It really has, it's completely done away with and has nothing to do with today. And maybe, maybe there's some things in the middle. Uh, but even depending which church or what kind of background or tradition you're with, there's different kind of rules and regulations and views that people may have on this. Uh, sometimes different um, church traditions, different, you know, Christian families have different things that they tend to get very particular about. I mean, there'd be some uh, types of churches, you know, that are, are very particular about things such as drinking and smoking. But on the other hand, no big deal if you want to go out on Sunday and you want to go to the restaurant. And there might be other churches where it's kind of flip-flopped, where they don't think too much about drinking and smoking, but if they catch you washing your car on Sunday, you know, this is going to be the, the scandal of the community. And so when we look at this, we need to make sure that we're not just saying, well, this is what I'm used to, and therefore this must be correct. Or this is what we do, and therefore whatever we do must be correct, or what I want to do. And there's always, with with this command or any command, there's always the temptation to do that, to kind of take our preconceived notion and try to make God's word fit into that. So we want to avoid that. And I'll say as the pastor, as I'm trying to think through this and what to say, there's temptations I have to avoid as well, too. I have to avoid, am I afraid that if I say something, I'm going to, to make the group that goes out on Sundays after church upset with me if I say that, hey, what you're doing, you need to knock that off. And I can't have it one way or another based on, well, that's what's going on. I also have to make it not so it's just my desires. And I say, I want you in church every single time the door is open, and so I'm going to go for the strongest view I can just for that. So we have to make sure that our views are not just what we want or what is going to be easy for us, but what do we think Scripture is actually communicating to us? That's the goal. This one is also trickier because uh, most Christians would agree there's at least something different between the Old Covenant era and now with this commandment. 
At the very least, as we'll see, a, sh- a shift in date as far as which day of the week this is, but probably some other shifts as well. This is the only one of the Ten Commandments that is not repeated in the New Covenant era, in the, in the church age, uh, after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The other Ten Commandments, it's pretty easy for us to know that they apply in the same way because you can find them repeated. And that's always a great rule of thumb that if you find these Old Testament laws repeated in the New uh, Testament, especially after uh, the beginning of the New Testament church, the death and resurrection of Christ, well then obviously they're for today as well. This one, there's a little bit of silence there. And so again, there's different interpretations and therefore different answers to some questions as far as what can I do on Sunday? What can't I do? Can I wash my car? Can uh, at different time periods, people have been more strict on this as well, too. You know, can you do any recreational activities at all? Can you watch football, much less play football? Um, or does this commandment mean absolutely nothing to us? Also questions, why do we worship on Sunday? Why don't we worship on Saturday? And we'll see why that's a legitimate question we need to talk about. So what we're going to do this week, this is part one, and I think we're going to need to cover this in two weeks. So if, you're, if you leave unsatisfied today, at least hopefully you have things to think about, and hopefully you'll be back next week for the PM service, where by then I hope to have good answers to give you. Uh, you can pray for me on that. But what I want to do, I want to look at what this law was all about under the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament period. So let's say if we were living in that time, what would this mean to us? Because sometimes we rush over that very quickly to get at the questions of, well, what can I do today and uh, how does this work for us? And there's quite a bit in the Old uh, Testament that I think we need to look at first. And it'll help us to understand this and help us, it'll give us a foundation for how to understand this uh, next week. So let's read the commandment itself. And this is in the uh, book of Exodus, chapter 20. It's one of those things that's a, a good fact to just get down to know. Ten Commandments, where do you find it? Exodus 20. So, let's read this, uh, starting with verse 8. It says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. All right, so the first point that we'll have, and we're going to have quite a bit under this first point. There's not, when we get to point two and three, it'll speed up, so don't worry. Uh, this was the command to rest from work on the seventh day of the week. If we're kind of boiling it down to the, uh, the, the core here. Now, what I want to do is I want to take, do kind of a survey through the Old Testament and some of the major passages uh, that shed some light on this and what it would mean. And to really do this, I think we need to go way back to the beginning when God created everything, and this is in Genesis uh, 1 and 2, 
where it lays out the creation account. If you read Genesis 1, it talks about God uh, forming this earth, creating the world in, in six days. That he, after he, uh, there's the world, it's formless and void, and he creates light. He, he goes through the process, and at the end of this, uh, it, it, and the sixth day he creates uh, human beings as, as the final thing, and then the seventh day, it says, he rested. And so then in Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3, it says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So I think this is foundational. We need to look at this. The passage in the Ten Commandments does refer back to this as part of the grounding, part of the reason why the Sabbath day is important. We see that God rested because he was finished. As far as creation, there was, there was nothing else to do. Uh, he had accomplished all that he had set out to accomplish. It was done. He said it was good, and so he was able to cease working. He, he rested in the sense of not working anymore. It wasn't a rest in the sense of he was exhausted and he just, you know, had to uh, sack out on the couch because he was so tired he couldn't keep going. He didn't need to just uh, rejuvenate in that sense. Uh, but he was resting in the sense that he was just, he was finished. And then we get from this that um, this is part of why God blesses this day. Now, we need to remind ourselves, this is not talking about Sunday. Sunday is not the seventh day of the week. Sunday is the first day of the week. And we'll talk about that next week. Why do we worship on the first day of the week instead of the seventh day? And spoiler alert, there was someone important that rose from the dead on the first day of the week. Okay, giving it away a little bit. All right? And that's why it's called the, the Lord's Day. But the Sabbath, in the Old Testament, this was the seventh day. This was Saturday. And the way that the Jews... Uh, reckoned time, it was officially sundown on Friday through the night until sundown on Saturday. So it was mostly Saturday, but with, with Friday, starting on Friday night, actually. And that is the, the Jewish Sabbath. It was the end of the week, not the beginning. So we see that. Um, we see that the seventh day was, was blessed from the beginning. So if maybe people here are wrestling with us on different sides, if you're thinking, you know, it seems like there's something really abiding and important about this, uh, we would look back and say, you know what? This uh, is something that, this goes all the way back to creation. This goes all the way back to God uh, when he created the world and he set aside uh, one out of seven and one in particular, and he made this a, a holy day that was, was set aside. So that is something to keep, um, to keep in mind, that this does go back to creation. On the other hand, at this point, it's not specifically referred to in the Genesis text here as Sabbath. It's referred to as, as the seventh day. 
it actually doesn't get referred to as the Sabbath until later on in the book of Exodus. So, when we see that Exodus uh, 20.11, it refers back uh, to Genesis, but the first time, unless I've missed something, that the word Sabbath is used in the Bible is connected to God sending manna and quail. This is also kind of interesting because, uh, you know, this is quite a bit later, but this is also before the giving of the Ten Commandments. So different things to keep in mind as we're, we're processing all of this. And so we remember that um, the Lord had led the Hebrews out of Egypt with uh, Moses. They were there for slave, in slavery uh, for like 400 years. And I think we have to admit, during that time, um, they, were, they were not observing the Sabbath. They would have not been able to observe the Sabbath if it was around when they were in slavery in Egypt. That's not something that the Egyptian taskmasters uh, would have allowed them to do. So, <clears throat> they are led out by Moses. They go through the Red Sea, all these miracles. And they're in the desert. And as they're in the desert, um, they're, they're starving. And there's this account where God sends them... Uh, manna and he sends some quail. And with this, you get this indication of he's going to do something special for them on the seventh day, on the Sabbath day. And, well, I'll, I'll read this section. And it talks about when they left. And um, let's see, verse 2, And the whole congregation of people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. You know, they've been released from slavery and now, so quickly, they're thinking, oh, we had, we had it so good back in Egypt in, in slavery when we are being beaten. If only we were back there. So it, it's insane how people grumble and you know, what have you done for me lately? Uh, have that attitude. Verse 4, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, so that's the day before the Sabbath, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumblings, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And so he gives them these instructions. And uh, let's skip down to verse 22 here. It says, on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread. 
two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept until morning. So they laid aside till morning as Moses commanded them, and, he, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Normally, they weren't supposed to keep leftovers. God was going to provide for them day by day. If they left it, it would go bad. But in this day, they got twice as much. This is very supernatural, and it was preserved, so they were okay the next day. So they didn't have to work. They didn't have to gather on the seventh day. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is the Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. And on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you a Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place, and let not, and, and not one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. So, The word Sabbath actually means rest, or literally ceasing, that you're you're stopping from working. For those of you that are musicians, think of a rest in music. You're not playing at that time. So it's a time period where we we stop working, and we're, we're resting from our work. And here we see also that it's a matter of they had to learn to trust God, to do something that didn't seem natural, that didn't seem to make sense, that didn't seem maybe prudent to them, but to trust that if they obeyed him, he would take care of them and he would give them this time of rest. They weren't used to having a time of rest. They weren't used to having a break. They had been slaves in Egypt for for hundreds of years, day after day after day after day. And now God is saying, I'm giving you time off so that you can rest, so you can rejuvenate, so that you can assemble, that you can worship me. Now, this is before the Ten Commandments. So this could mean one of two things. It could mean that the Sabbath was something already in existence, and that's what's going on here. Um, It could also mean that maybe this is the Lord introducing this principle to them, kind of getting them ready for the Fourth Commandment when he gives that later on kind of getting him ready for this principle of resting on the seventh day. They needed to learn to trust that God would provide for them as they rested. So, we see that in Exodus, um, well, it should say Exodus 28 through uh, 11. That's when the actual fourth commandment is given, and we, we read that already. Some other things. There's a bit more to the Sabbath commands than sometimes we, we realize because there were uh, commands for the land as well. And we see in Exodus 23, the land is actually to be given a Sabbath as well. And that command, uh, that Sabbath, that rest for the land is to be also this pattern of one out of uh, every seven. 
So there, there's six working years and then a rest year. It says there in Exodus uh, 23, 10 through 12, it says, For six years you shall sow your land and gather in its yield. So for six years you're planting your crops, you're harvesting. But in the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave the beasts of the field may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. So we see a few things in that passage. Uh, The one is that there's a command for the land to be kept. And this Sabbath, this is a whole year, one out of every seven years. And this would be something, when they heard this, they're thinking, that's kind of a tough call to have. We're going to have a year where uh, we just we don't plant this at all, and I guess maybe what kind of naturally grows up we can kind of get from that. I was wondering at first, you know, could they rotate? You know, which fields they do? You know, there's sometimes where it's just kind of uh, I'm not a I'm not a farmer, but I know sometimes it can be good to give the fields a rest and uh, do this to keep them fertile. But uh, well, maybe they just they're rotating you know, which fields they do this. But I'm going to show you a passage later on that basically says, no, that's not how it works. So we have this. Um, it was also a way to provide for the poor so that they could go in and they could take whatever was being uh, growing kind of naturally during, during that year that they wouldn't harvest. We see in that passage, it's also a rest for their work animals. And it specifically mentions that it's so that they may be refreshed, so that they can catch their breath, they can be renewed. All right. It's quite a bit in the Old Testament. Something also we should keep in mind, Exodus 31, 12 through 17. Some of these I'm going to have to just summarize for the sake of time. But this is one of these passages that mentions this is supposed to be kept generation from generation. That's one of the things. It says, the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. I mean, this is showing how important this is to God that the, the Hebrews keep this. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. To be sanctified means to be set apart. This would be one of the ways that people would know that the Jews, the Hebrews, were a set-apart nation. They were different because they kept the Sabbath. It says, you shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. This is saying, this is how serious God is about them keeping the Sabbath too, that the death penalty is what they would get for breaking this. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. And whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. And it goes on to say um, they should keep it throughout their generations. Verse 17, it is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth. And on the seventh day he rested 
and, quote, was refreshed. few things I want to point out there. I already said it's a sign between the Lord and Israel that they were set apart. They were a special set-apart nation. They were not like all the other nations around them. It was to be observed from generation to generation. The penalty was death. I think another thing that we should take from this too, you know, I'm giving you bits that, depending on which side of the spectrum you're on, you might latch onto one side or the other. Saying, well, generation to generation, it's forever and ever. Um, But at the same time, are we executing people for this? Also, too, notice it says, it doesn't just say rest one day. It says work six. And most of us don't have a strict six-day work week. I mean, maybe some of you do. And maybe some of you are keeping busy at home on Saturday. But I think most people aren't viewing it as, well, I'm, I'm full working all six days. And Saturday, that's not a day for recreation. So... Just as we're, we're just gathering in all the evidence here and how do, how do we weigh this? How do we put it all together? And I want to point this out too because this kind of threw me a little bit at the end because it said that the Lord, at the end here, at the end of creation, he rested and was refreshed. I thought, well, what does that mean? God was refreshed? Because, again, we don't want to think that God rested because he was tired that he needed to, you know, take a Gatorade to get his electrolytes, you know, back up. And so, either this means this very metaphorically, or looking at this, the Hebrew word for refreshed, uh, for us, yeah, it means to be refreshed, but literally it means to take a breath. So God is not actually taking a breath, but it has this idea of just ceasing and and resting and not working anymore. The, the work is done. He's able to just lay back and the work is done. Admire what he has, what he has created. A few other things, if you're wanting to uh, keep this very strictly, Exodus 35, 1 through 3, part of that says, you shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. So starting a fire on the Sabbath day is, uh, is forbidden. So there's that. If it gets cold out later on, hope you had that going on ahead of time. Leviticus, when we get into that, Leviticus 16, 29 through 31, it talks about the Day of Atonement. And so this was uh, very a sacred day when the priests would make their offerings and go into the Holy of Holies with that. And it says that uh, it should be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month of the tenth day of the month uh, you shall afflict yourself and shall do no work. It goes on to say, it is a Sabbath of solemn rest for you and it is a statute forever. So the Day of Atonement, also in the same way, is a day of rest. And this also is supposed to be a statute forever which that's something we'll have to put together too. Do we keep the Day of Atonement? How does that work? Now that Christ has come and that he is the sacrifice that the Day of Atonement was pointing to. See, I told you, this message, hopefully, you might find it interesting. 
but it might not be completely satisfying. But hopefully it's going to give you things to, to think through this next week. So there's a few other places uh, where it is mentioned. I'll hit on a few that I think are um, relevant. We already talked about the land having a Sabbath on the seventh year, every seventh year. But in Leviticus 25, I think this is really interesting because this goes into more detail on how God expected this to work and how they needed to trust him. And it says... uh, That basically, um, for six years you shall sow your field on the, and um, take care of it. And then the seventh year you're supposed to not do that. It's to be a solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. It says, you shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap what grows of itself in your harvest or gather grapes of your undressed vines, it shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. Okay, so that clarifies, you know, the poor, they could come in, they could get some of the extras, but you yourself weren't even supposed to go and live off of that. Just what's growing kind of wild. And then later on, it says, this is how it works. In verse 18, therefore, because people are, well, how are we going to live? What are we going to do? Verse 18, Therefore you shall do my statutes and keep my rules and perform them, and then you will dwell in the land securely. The land will yield its fruit, and you will eat your fill and dwell in it securely. And if you say, What shall we eat in the seventh year, if we may not sow or gather in crops? I will command my blessings on you in the sixth year, so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. And when you sow in the eighth year, you will still be eating some of the old crop that you eat in the old until the ninth year when, the, when its crop arrives. So God is saying, I am going to do something supernatural here. And you're going to have to trust me on this. This isn't going to be about weather patterns. This isn't going to be about uh, horticultural techniques. I am going to supernaturally make it, if you trust me, that in the sixth year, there will be so much food that it will get you through the sixth year, it will get you through the seventh year, and all the way until, uh, until your next food is arriving after the harvest on, on the eighth year when you can do it again, and you're still going to have food left over. They probably found that hard to believe. That's what faith is. That's what trusting God is. When God promises something that doesn't make uh, sense to us in the, the natural order of things, but God says it, and God promises it, and so we say, I'm going to live by that, because God is the one that has said it. I'll give you a few other things. You'll have to just kind of look these up. It talks about also, if you're, if you're really putting this all together, there's also um, what well, God promises super... Oh, well, we missed it. But um, Leviticus 25 talks about a year of jubilee. So that's a, a special year that after seven sets of seven, then on the 50th year is a year of jubilee. And you can read all about that, that um, property is, is returned to the original clan. Uh, 
people set free, all these different uh, things that happened. And they were required to keep this every 50 years as a year of Jubilee. Unfortunately, we don't see much record at all in the Old Testament that they actually did this. But they were supposed to. So after every seven sets of seven, the 50th year was supposed to be special. And then God promises supernatural blessings for obedience. This is part of the Old Covenant, that if they obeyed, God promised amazing good things were going to happen to them. Uh, he says, you shall keep my, my Sabbaths. Verse 3 in Leviticus 26, if you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, I will give you your rains in their season, and the land shall yield its increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last to the time of the grape harvest, and the grape harvest shall last to the time of sowing, and you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in the land securely. In verse 10, you shall eat old store long kept, so your, your food supplies, they'll stay good. They're not going to go rotten on you. You know, they didn't have preservatives back then. This was an amazing thing. And you shall clear out the old to make way for new. So you'll be having new come in, and you'll still have old stuff left there that you need to get rid of. That's how long it's going to last, and that's how much you'll have. And I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. But then, and you can read this, this is scary. If, if they disobey, this is part of this, this agreement in the Mosaic Covenant, that they all said, yes, we agree to this. There were, there were curses promised, terrible things for disobedience. I will visit you with panic, with wasting disease and fever that consumes the eyes and make the heart ache. And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. And it goes on and on again. If they didn't keep these commands. And he says, too, that if you're not doing this, if you're not keeping my Sabbaths every seventh year, says, then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate. He's saying, I'm going to send in conquerors. And you're going to be conquered. You're going to be driven away from the land. The land's going to get its Sabbath. If you don't give it, it's going to have it while you're taken away in captivity. While you are at your enemy's land, then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. As long as it lies desolate, it shall have rest. The rest that it did not have on your Sabbaths when you were dwelling in it. One last one in Deuteronomy 5. In Deuteronomy, it's the second giving of the Ten Commandments. And here, it repeats this command, and it also reminds them to remember that they were slaves in Egypt. There's a time when they did not have rest, they did not have this, and God was giving them this rest. All right, so we've given you quite a, quite a bit here. Um, the Israelites, they failed to keep the Sabbath correctly. And in two different kind of opposite ways, through neglect well, and through legalism. If you look through the rest of the Old Testament, it's basically a lot of neglect. And one example right off the bat, in Numbers 15, uh, there is a story about a man that he gets the command here, and it says, while the people of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. You think, what's so bad about that? He's just gathering sticks, you know, for, for a fire. But you know what? He was, he was rebelling against what God had said. And it said, those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. 
They put him in custody because it had not been made clear what should be done to him. And the Lord said to Moses, The man shall be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. And all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones, as the Lord commanded Moses. And then in Second Chronicles, this, it says, later on after God has all this patience with, uh, with Israel, and, but they keep disobeying. They keep blowing off the prophets and sinning and worshiping false gods and not obeying. And eventually they're taken into exile. And here's what this says. He says, He took into exile in Babylon those that had escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. And the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. And you see that in the prophets as well, saying that part of the reason for their judgments, they, weren't, they didn't keep the Sabbath. There was many other things too. So neglect, and really I was kind of struck when I, I was looking through the Old Testament, you don't see many times where it's even mentioned people keeping the Sabbath. Sometimes it talks about the priests doing their thing on the Sabbath, but not a whole lot of mention of it. But you know, they get taken into exile and they spend their, you know, 70 years in Babylon, and when they come back from this, people say, you know what? We need to learn our lesson. We need to make sure that never happens again. And so between the Old and the New Testament, you had this group that was formed called the Pharisees, and their, part of their original purpose with the Pharisees was to say, we need to make sure something like that never happens again. And so we, we're going to be kind of a club here to promote strict observance of God's law. And so by the time uh, you have the New Testament start with Jesus, the Pharisees are on the scene. Originally, they had pretty good motives. Hey, let's make sure people are keeping God's law. But what happened with the Pharisees is they started to make their own laws around God's law. They started to make kind of fences further out so that people didn't even get close to disobeying God's law. And over time, those fences became more important to them than God's law. The man-made rules became more important to them than what God actually said. And so when you get to the New Testament in the Gospels, you see the problem with the Sabbath is, is mostly legalism. So as we've been going through the book of Luke, that's what we see over and over again. Jesus dealing with this and the legalism that people have with the Sabbath. I want to say, too, during the Gospels, this is still the Old Covenant era. It is still technically Old Testament times because Jesus has not died on the cross. The New Covenant hasn't been ushered in by, by his death and resurrection. And so um, you're still in Old Testament times. And we see, we've seen several of these things. And we've been going through Luke and these are available online, so you could look at some of these. But Jesus often healed on the Sabbath, oftentimes when he didn't really need to. He could have waited, but he was making a point and doing this on purpose and kind of provoking the Pharisees and their man-made rules. So Jesus often healed on the Sabbath. Jesus taught that the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Uh, in Mark 
2, it's one of the places that has this. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and they made their way. His disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, what is, he's doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. And he said to them, have you never read what David did? David, their, their anointed king. When he was in need and, one is, and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how they entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So also, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So another thing that Jesus taught, that he's the Son of Man, he's the Messiah. I mean, if David was anointed as the king, Jesus is the anointed one, anointed as Messiah. And so he is Lord over the Sabbath. So the Pharisees, they had all these uh, rules, and some were just uh, ridiculous. And Jesus is saying, don't focus on these these man-made rules. Uh, Jesus was not under their interpretation of the rules. If David, the anointed king, can rightfully supersede the normal rules, then certainly the Messiah, the anointed one, can supersede uh, the, the normal rules. And Jesus, we could look at a few different passages, but he also taught that acts of goodness, mercy, and necessity are allowed on the Sabbath. So that helps us out a bit too. When Jesus was talking about healing, he would say to them things uh, like, which one of you, if you have a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. That's Matthew 12, 12. So he's saying you can do good on the Sabbath. That's, that's okay. Uh, acts, of, acts of mercy. And there's certain acts of necessity. And so recognize that. There's certain things that just need to be done. Um, you know, there's uh, you know, doctors that need to work on the Sabbath or on Sunday or however we work that out. So these are some of these things to keep in mind as we're talking through the, the teaching from the Old Testament era. And what we're going to try to do next week is we're going to try and put these together. But I want to leave you with just kind of main point. For today, if we think about this, okay, we have all this, and that was true back then. Maybe it's true today. Maybe it's shifted a little bit. We we have to understand that there's some really interesting, important stuff that we're going to get at next week. But even just looking at this, there's things that we can realize: is that this commandment teaches us to honor and trust God with our time. That was true then, and at least that is true now. Maybe a lot more, but at least this is true. And we shouldn't miss the, the obvious, the important things. As we're looking at some of this data we're going to put together, I think we're going to conclude that we do not keep the Sabbath today exactly like they did in the Old Testament. I mean, down to all the details. We probably say we, we would agree on that. No one really does, and I don't think we're supposed to in all the details. We'll get to that next week. On the other hand, still, I think we've seen enough to see that there might be some sort of Sabbath principle that remains. Maybe something that is built into creation 
that maybe we ought to do more to consider. But if we were living as a Jew under the Old Testament, this would teach us a few things that it still teaches us today. One, trust God with your time. And part of that means that you do need time to rest. You know, it is good to not be going 24-7 every single day. You were not designed for that. God did this as part of the mercy to keep us, to keep us going. Some of you and I, we are workaholics. And sometimes you can go, 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 go. Now, there's some people that need to, in today's world, that maybe there's more emphasis that needs to be put on the, hey, six days you should be doing something. But there's others that need to be told you need to slow down. You need to not burn yourself up. And work, work, work. Trust God with your time. And part of that is also you need time to worship. It's not just a day to, to sit at home and on the couch and doing nothing and sleeping all day, but time set aside so we can push away these other things and worship the Lord, to spend time for Him. Part of this means to trust God to provide for you when you cease working. That you might be thinking, I have to work, I have to put in all these hours, or else our family's not going to have enough. I'm not going to have enough. I'm not going to get things done. And the Hebrews, they would have thought that too, that I can't stop working one day out of the week. There's stuff that needs to be done. And God said, trust me. I will make this work. I will make it. You can gather enough on the sixth day that you can rest. Plan ahead. Trust in me. It's going to be okay. And even every seventh year with your fields, Trust me, it will be okay. This is hard for us to do. We're depending on God to do something supernatural. He may not do it in the exact same way in the Old Testament with the fields and the crops, but do you trust God enough to rest? Sneak preview. Do you trust God enough to rest? That also has to do with your salvation. Do you trust God enough to cease from your working for your salvation and to rest in him? Do you trust that God do you trust that God can take care of you if you will obey him? And do you give him the time that he deserves? You know, for many people, time is their most valuable commodity. You know, they'll give other things, but time is something we, you can't create more of it. And so to give God part of your valuable time is a great act of worship for him, and it is also good for you as well. Will you worship God with that sacrifice? Let's close in prayer. Lord God, there's so much in your word that you have to teach us, and we thank you for... Um, how you instructed the the Hebrews. And Lord, as we think through this and we wrestle with it and we uh, next time look at other things in the New Testament, what this has to say for us now, uh, we thank you for what you've taught us already, that you're a God that we can trust with our time, that we can carve out time to stop working and to, to focus on you and to rest and to rest in you, Lord God. Help us to trust you enough that we can do that. Everything doesn't depend on us having to to work and work and work and work. 
we can trust in what you have done and that you will take care of us. We can worship you with that valuable commodity that you've given us, our time, Lord God. We thank you and give you praise. In Christ's name, we pray these things. Amen.